Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Palmas. I am a wife, mom, author, and lifelong educator who has been doing some hard work for two decades. This podcast is about renewing hope, happiness, and belief in education. We get real and talk candidly about ways educators across the globe are working to uproot the education system and making transformational changes for all educators and students. And beyond the why and the what these transformational education leaders are doing, we get into the how you as an educator can drive toward these changes. I am here to take away the pain, exhaustion that too many of us feel day in and day out and rid ourselves of the question if we made the right career choice. Trust me, you did. So let's dig in and ignite the joy, passion, and belief all educators had when deciding to enter a career in education. And let's make some change. So much is possible in education. Welcome back to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. With us today is not only an educator, but somebody who's become a really good friend. And it's interesting because her son actually spent the night recently. And in our conversation, we were talking about the parallels of his life to my son's life. They were both born in North Carolina in a span of a couple months. Both their moms are in education. We ended up living in the same neighborhood. He went on and on and on. And it was so cute because he was like, yeah, Aleko and I were meant to be friends. And I'm like, and I think your mom and I were meant to be friends. So how sweet is that? But it was a really fun conversation to have. And yeah, the parallels of our lives. And when Shannon, our guest and I get together, we talk mommyhood, but more than anything, we talk education and we problem solve a lot and talk about like, what would we do differently? Or how could this have been better and give each other advice. And it's just been a beautiful friendship that was born out of our sons, just being very magnetized to one another right now. They are literally inseparable. And we are counting how many times they've spent the night together in the last few weeks. And they are, it's like our, my own second son. And you are, you've become such a great friend and we're nearly birthday twins. So there's just so much magic between us, Shannon. And I just, we, it's meant to be. And I just love that you're on here. And the reason I wanted you on here is because of the conversations we have, particularly around a specific issue that you've really helped illuminate in my own practice as an educator that I know so many educators could find value in doing and implementing within their classroom. So while we'll focus mainly on that topic, I do want our listeners to just know who you are, the amazing person you are. So I'll kick it over to you and have you introduce yourself and essentially just tell us your journey in education and where you're at right now. Well, thank you, Kelly. So I wanted to be a teacher since I was in second grade. I ended up getting my first teaching job in North Carolina. I taught second grade for one year and then I had my second son who you were just talking about. (laughs) um, I needed something that was a little more flexible with my husband's schedule. So I ended up going into teaching preschool, which I ended up loving. And I did that for seven years. And then just this past school year, I taught, I was a reading interventionist. And now this year I am a special education teacher. So Mm. kind of like (laughs) big array of everything. You you run the gamut. (laughs) And this, this means that this is your what year in teaching? My 10th. Okay. 
happy decade anniversary. Yes, thank you. I feel like lately it is really hard to find educators that reach that decade birthday. So it's really cool to be talking to you about this. And again, the journey has been long and very informing. And like I mentioned in the introduction, there have been a lot of lessons learned along the way. And one of those lessons started with your first year of teaching, which is typically most people's hardest. And so can you just relive Maybe you don't want to, but I'd love for our listeners to hear you reliving that experience and what that experience has really done to help inform your practices now. Absolutely. So yeah, my first teaching job, I taught second grade in North Carolina and it was definitely my most difficult year. Lots of behavior issues in my classroom. It was in a very, I don't want to say rural, but right outside of a rural community, very low income. It was, it was challenging. And I had an amazing second grade team I worked with, but I just did not feel equipped with the things to get me through that year. And there was a lot of crying. And actually after that year, I didn't step foot back in a full-time classroom again. And Mm. I feel like it just discouraged me. And I felt like this is not why I became a teacher. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get the behaviors to stop. And I just felt like I did not have the skills. (laughs) So yeah, I ended up taking a huge break. (laughs) A nine-year break, or I guess a seven-year break. And so I feel like so many first-year teachers are feeling that. I mean, I know I did. And I have journaled and written about the fact that I was ready to quit in that first semester because of the lack of skills, because of the deregulation of myself, the fact that like I had so many behavior problems and just could not figure out how to, to reel them in. And I felt a lot of blame of the students, a lot of blame of myself probably not enough blame of myself of like, I can do this because it was like not a blame, but it was a lack of confidence in being able to. And then 20 years later, here we are and we're constantly having these conversations of that we can. So what was it that made you feel like, yeah, I actually do know this stuff. I know I can do it. And, or was there a skill that you were taught that helped really propel you into being able to stay and do this long term? Yeah. So I would say probably my third year teaching preschool here in Colorado, my preschool adapted a new curriculum and it was called Mm -hmm. Conscious Discipline. And everything about this just opened my eyes. And I remember saying to one of my coworkers that if I could go back and redo my first year, now knowing all these skills I learned in Conscious Discipline, I would do so many things differently. It just completely changed how I looked at students' behaviors, how I looked at myself, It was a huge eye opener. Mm, And I feel like so many people already, even in the like mere weeks of the school starting are feeling that way. If I could go back three weeks ago, so they have time, they don't have to wait until their first year. So let's dig in to some of the things that you have learned that they can internalize and start utilizing tomorrow to help them reset the trajectory in which they probably thought they were going to have when they started, but they did not necessarily have the tools that you're talking about. So talk to us about conscious discipline. All right. So conscious discipline is it's evidence-based. It's trauma-informed. It just shifts your focus on behavior. So whereas my first year in teaching, when kids would act out, I would take it so personal. And I just did a lot of yelling and punishing and the behavior never changed. And I never understood why nothing was working. And so conscious discipline shifts your focus from viewing behavior as disrespect to seeing it as a form of communication and that Mm -hmm. all behavior is communication. And it also shifts you from judging to noticing. So the child doesn't feel 
judged. It's, you know, I notice that you're having a hard time concentrating, or I notice that you aren't being very kind to your friend. And it, so it just basically opens it up and it connects you with the student. There are seven powers of conscious discipline. They are the power of perception, which says that no one can make me angry without my permission. The power of unity. We're all in this together. The power of attention, which is a huge one for me, is what you focus on, you get more of. The power of free will, the only person you can make changes yourself. And the power of acceptance, that the moment is as it is. So it really just, it shifts your entire mind focus. And just mm. instead of taking it personal, you're able to sit down with the child and get to the bottom of their behavior. Because if you don't fix the reason for the behavior, it's never going to change. It won't get better. And punishing misbehavior is not going to stop it. The only thing that will mm. change it is teaching the child a new skill to replace the troublesome behavior. And so these powers are kind of, they're for the teacher, but that's ultimately what you're trying to teach the student to do as well. Is that how this works? Yeah. So, you know, the power of unity, when you're sitting down with a child that's having an issue, it's saying like, we're in this together. I'm on your side. We're, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to work together to figure this out. And they can do that. You know, I can go back to like, when I taught preschool, a lot of the issues that I had in preschool were pretty minor, but you know, hitting or a child taking a toy and you would kind of just get down with the child and be like, you know, you look really sad. He looks sad. Do you see that when you did that, it made him sad. And it's a lot of empathy and Mm. teaching that the child empathy and that the skill of empathy links discipline correction with connection. And it addresses the child's upset first and then the behavior second. So you're trying to focus the whole focusing on what you want instead of our go-to is always to like go right to the kid and why did you do that? You hit him. What did you do? But instead of doing that, we focus on look how sad this person is. You know, you pushed him out of the way and he fell down. He is so sad. And the other kid can hopefully in turn be like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, they just, it's such a good shift and it helps us shift as well as the kids. And then they don't feel like they're being judged and punished. And it hopefully when used the right way, it can just, it teaches them new skills, you know, Hey, instead of doing this next time, how about you, you know, like a lot of times the preschoolers would take something from another kid because they wanted to use it. And it would be a Mm -hmm. whole like, Hey, next time, say, when you're done, can I use this? And it's just like shifting the focus of them to like, Oh yeah, I could do that. It's doable. It's easy. And in that moment, would you have the student practice that? And so it's, you know, next time ask if you can use it. And then the student practices that, or how does that work? Absolutely. Yeah. And so in preschool, we did that a lot. Like, Hey, say when you're done with the blocks, can I have a turn? And then the kid would say it. And the other child would say, yes. And then um, I've used it in elementary school where like a kid is, you know, there's so much tattling. And so they run up to the teacher and they're like, oh, and so did this. And I say, well, did you like it? No. I said, well, turn around and tell him, say, I don't like when you, and then whatever the behavior was. So the kid would turn around and say, I don't like when you do that. And the other kid's like, oh, okay, sorry. I won't do that again. As opposed to going directly to the kid who did it and just trying to punish them and thinking that will change anything. Yeah. Shannon, can you walk us maybe through those seven powers and give an example? You just give an example of unity. I would love to just hear an example and maybe even how you walk through those powers with all of them with one example, or you can walk through each power with a different example. However, I just to make this as tangible as possible. 
Yeah. So the power of unity says we're all interconnected and it's just the importance of connection and compassion are key tenets of conscious discipline. So connection is an essential impulse that's needed for survival. If your students don't feel connected, they don't feel like they have a relationship with you. None of the content you teach them is going to matter. And it keeps us in an optimal brain state that facilitates learning and problem solving. So it's the whole like going back to Maslow before Bloom. And if our kids are not in a state where they are able to learn, if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel connected, if they don't feel that their teacher likes them, none of the content you teach them is going to matter. It's not going to get through until they have reached that state of connection and they're in a calm state, optimal state in their, with their brain function. So it goes back to building relationships. And I know at my preschool, the first couple of weeks of school, all we did was focus on building relationships with these kids. And I know not every public school can do that because we have curriculums and we have pacing guides that we have to follow, but building relationships with your students is so necessary. Yeah. And I think despite the curriculum, despite the pacing guides, what ends up happening when we don't build that connection within our classrooms is suddenly we are covering the pacing guide versus teaching and students learning it. And there's so much at stake when we aren't prioritizing this. And so regardless of whether you're in a district or not, I just constantly am preaching. It's not about covering the pacing guide. It's about getting your classroom to a state that students can learn in. Absolutely. What else do you got, Shannon? Keep it coming. I I love all of this. So the power of perception, I think, is a really good one. It says that becoming consciously aware of what triggers us Mm -hmm. and allows us to protect practice composure and change our perceptions. So in disciplined situations, our perception determines whether we punish and blame the child or whether we teach new skills. And that one like hits hard for me because I think in my first year of teaching, I was just trying to punish and yell and do whatever it took to fix that behavior. And it didn't work. Mm -hmm. But when kids feel blamed and when they don't feel safe, punishing isn't going to change anything. You have, they're missing a skill. They're communicating their, their needs in a way that you, that is not, not a good way. So in order to fix it, and we have to teach them how to do it. You know, we have to teach them coping skills. We have to teach them how to breathe and calm themselves and regulate their own bodies before. Otherwise it's going to come out in ways that are impulsive and in ways that we don't want to see. Yeah. And it's making me wonder too, how do you build in that perception for yourself? Like what advice would you give a teacher? Because in the moment it is so hard. And I've been doing this for 20 years and there are still impulses for myself to not breathe, to get red in the face and be like, are you kidding me? And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I still do that. You know that. And it doesn't feel good probably more so with my own kids than I do with other people's kids, (laughs) but still do that. And so what advice or steps have you learned and been trained on to really support that I need to be calm in this moment, even though everything in my heart, my soul and mind is on fire. And it's really hard in the moment. I agree with you. I tend to be better at it with other people's children than my own. (laughs) Um, But one of the skills that conscious discipline teaches is the star. It's called star and it's stop, take a breath, and relax. And it's hard to do it in the moment, but if we can try our best to, you know, and if, if you're really upset with a child in that moment, because they just did something that was so upsetting, it's okay to say like, Hey, we're going to put a pin in this and we're going to come back in about five minutes when I'm calm and when you're calm. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about it because you being in a dysregulated state and the child being in a dysregulated state, nothing will get resolved. There will be no reasoning. There will be no listening. Nothing is going to work. So it's okay to say, hey, we're going to talk about this 
in five minutes or when we're done with you know math or reading or recess or whatever we're going to come back and we're going to we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about this another big thing with conscious discipline they called it q-tip and it was just quit taking it personal and that was a <sighs> huge thing because we take behavior so personal and it's like i can't believe they did that and but it's not about us it's we just have to not take it personal put yourself out of the situation in a way and take a step back and just look at the behavior and what are they trying to communicate and that's one of the hardest things for me is to not take it personal mm -hmm. because you have relationships with these children and even with my own kids it's really hard to to not take it personal yeah. and we want to you know you know better you should know better but they're kids you know, Your kids. I just want to underscore Q-tip for a second because I see this, especially like I did it. I especially my first year, I see it with a lot of our brand new teachers. And yes, you're going to hear it from your admin. You're going to hear it from your mentors, your team leads, your colleagues saying, don't take it personally. You're going to hear that time and time again. I am telling you, it's not because they are wanting you to brush it off your shoulders. This is scientifically backed stuff. When you take it personally, very little is productive. It's in here because it is scientifically backed. And so however we can put into practice not to take it personally, and I know that that's deeper work that we have time to do in this space and maybe something that you and I can do coming back onto the podcast to talk more about, but like Q-tip. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard, but it, it makes sense. You know, it's not about us they're just a kid and they're, they don't mm -hmm. know how to communicate. And I, I think sometimes too, we expect too much out of kids and we think like, you know, you're nine, you're 10, you're a sixth grader, you're a fifth grader, you should know better. But like grown adults still have trouble. We still have trouble, you know, regulating our emotions and using our words sometimes and mm -hmm. calming down before we speak. So we just have to remember that they're kids and they're learning and we have to help teach them because sometimes these kids don't have that at home. They don't mm -hmm. have somebody that can help teach them that. So if we can be, form that relationship and that connection and just take a step back, not take it personal, take a deep breath. Like it's so much more will get done. Yeah. Star and Q-tip. Let's keep it going. This is such great stuff. Yeah. So the power of attention, mm -hmm. you can consciously choose to focus your attention on what you truly value and you will recognize the good in yourself and others, teach children what to do and generate more of the behaviors and outcome you desire. So it's, you know, basically just like, what do you want to get out of this? What do we want to focus on? You just need to like key in what you, your main focus, you know, Hey friend, you got really upset right there. And you threw that pencil across the room, you know? So let's teach the child a new, new coping skill. Let's focus our attention. And a lot of it was uh, a big thing when we were first learning conscious discipline was, you know, and we, as parents, we, as teachers, we do it a lot, you know, like no running, no, I don't know, no talking, no running. And we do a lot of like focusing on what we don't want. Mm -hmm. Don't want running. We don't want talking while we're teaching. We don't want hitting. But if we can like flip the way we say things and to make the attention go to what we want, you know, like in preschool, it was, oh, make your feet match mine. And we would, you know, slowly walk. So the kid was like, oh, mm -hmm. okay. Um, a lot of times young kids, especially when they hear no running, all they hear is running, you know, they won't step back and be like, Oh, I need to, I need to stop some kids. Well, but so like in the classroom now, a lot of my stuff is like noticing, Oh, I notice you sitting quietly and waiting for me 
I really appreciate that. I noticed you giving your friend a pencil because they didn't have one. So they didn't have to get up during Mm -hmm. the lesson. Just noticing and focusing on the positives instead of, you know, no talking. Oh, I noticed my friend sitting here working so quietly. When we focus on what we want, we're going to get more of that. And I would say to focus your attention on what you truly value also does not mean ignoring the misbehavior. No, so as you are focused on, you know, a couple of students doing the right thing, the behavior doesn't stop. What then? Yeah. So you might have to just walk over to your little friends who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, like, Hey friend, it's time to start learning. You know, what can we do to help you learn better? You know, you have a lot of, you have a fidgety kid and he's having a hard time sitting at his desk. So, Hey, where can we, where do you think you can sit in the room? So it'll help you Mm. focus, you know, instead of constantly stop moving, stop doing this, stop doing that. Let's try to focus our attention on what we want and figure out how to make that happen. Shannon, what I appreciate about that too, is you're still, again, you're not ignoring the misbehavior, but you're also not punishing the misbehavior, knowing that it's a behavior that needs something else. And so I would say that I've heard educators argue, well, by letting the student choose where they sit, you know, but at the end of the day, if you know that it's going to curb the behavior and you still can focus on what is positive, that's what we're helping the student to do. And so I think those are great examples. So thank you for sharing those. And again, it's not, you never ignored it. And you also gave choice, which a lot of people I think would be like, no, that's rewarding the student for something that all the other kids are doing. Well, there's different ways in which we can reward those other behaviors. But if that means that we are training and helping to cultivate a student who can be successful within our classroom in that corner over there, or because they have a fidget or a bounce ball that they sit, whatever it is, like that's going to help our whole classroom. Absolutely. It's going to make your job easier. It's going to make your day easier. It's going to make their day easier. And in the end, you're still getting that child is still working and you were able to teach with less interruptions, hopefully too. So you're mm-hmm. still getting what you need. It's just, there's a lot of choices in conscious discipline too. Mm-hmm. And you just have to make sure it's like the outcome you want. So whatever you want, you want to get this child to sit and listen. Okay. Do you want to sit at the back table or do you want to stand at your desk? You know, as long as they are working, it shouldn't matter as mm-hmm. long as they're not being a distraction to other people and you're able to teach. So I think we, I think we have two left. Great. Let's keep going. All right. So the power of free will, it's our job to make others behave. So conscious discipline model, it's our job to make others behave and control others, but controlling and changing ourselves is possible and has a profound impact on others because we can't make somebody do anything. And that's a hard thing too. When it comes down to it, you can't make them be quiet. You know, we have to figure out a way to help them and give them skills. You know, a fidget. Oh, is a fidget going to help you channel your energy from yelling out into fidget with your hands? And then you're able to pay more attention. When we succeed in helping others behave, we demonstrate power and authority. So that's the whole, like the only person you can make changes yourself. It's hard because you, and I think a lot of us want to, we think that having authority means that you have to, you know, the ch- I'm going to do this and I'm going to say this and the child is going to do it. And that's, that's fear-based and it's not, it's not good. There are some kids who are going to sit there and they're going to be, oh, I'm going to listen. Like, we don't want the students to be afraid of us. We don't want them to fear us. 
we want them to have a relationship and feel connected. And then we also don't want them to be people pleasers. And we don't want them to just do this because my teacher says, we want you to do that because it's the right thing to do. And that's what you Mm -hmm. should do. So when we control ourselves and realize like, I can't make that person do anything, it kind of, again, shifts our focus and it will help us look at the behavior again and figure out a way, like, let's work, let's do this together. Let's figure this out. What can we do to help you succeed? And then in turn, it's going to help me. That is so good. And again, I just, I think about this is my fifth year of teaching and I'm almost embarrassed to share this. And I, I can't remember if I put it in the book or not, but I was a yeller. This is my fifth year of teaching and it was probably my best year of teaching. And once I figured some stuff out, it got better. But I mean, and they were first and second graders, Shannon, you would have been appalled. And I was yelling and on Wednesday night was my favorite show at the time, which was Criminal Minds. And the students, I'm like, guys, just keep track and make sure I don't yell today because otherwise I'm not going to let myself watch criminal minds. So they were helping train me. <laughs> but all of that to say, if I had just had the tools to control myself, would have never gotten to that weird external whatever. And I held true to it every Wednesday. Who the heck remembers what happened between Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday? <laughs> but still, when we control ourselves, it helps us look at the behaviors. And I also think it helps us look at our behaviors, right? And I think holding up a mirror to myself and knowing that like, or when I'm asking, why are my students yelling at each other? Oh, because I'm yelling at my students, you know? And so it's just, it's powerful to think about the importance of us and how we are showing up in that situation. Yeah, I agree. And I was a yeller too. I yelled a lot. (laughs) And it never worked. And and I don't know why I'm laughing. Well, it's, and I think back to you and now I'm like, I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want to like, that's not how I learn. I don't want somebody in my face yelling at me. So why would I do that to my students? And it's, and I fail. I do. We all fail. We're human. I still raise my voice. I yell at my own kids sometimes. And then I'm like, I have to take a step back and, you know, take a deep breath and realize like, you know, again, it goes back to like, what are your triggers? You know, when people talk over you, is that a trigger? And that's why you get frustrated and you raise your voice at your students because they're talking over you. And that's when you can go back to the whole, like, let me teach these kids some empathy. You know, Hey, when you talk over me, it really hurts me. And it's upsetting because I am up here trying to teach you new things. And when you're talking over me, I can't teach, you know, and then your other friends who are trying to sit here and listen, they can't learn. It's hard. (sighs) It's hard. It's a big shift, a huge, it's almost like reteaching our brains too, because we're adults and we learned things one way. And now we're trying to teach our brains a whole new way. And it's hard, but. Well, and I think about that too, of parenting or educating, we are acting on what we saw and what we learned. Right. And so, you know, whether our parents yelled at us or, you know, like that's, that is what is in our brain because that is what like our formative years of learning. And if you had teachers who yelled, I actually don't remember having teachers who yelled, honestly, now that I think about it. So why I yelled is probably just because it's in me, but to your point of like, how do we then have to unlearn that? And again, probably another show for another day, because that is so ingrained and so deep. But I think the first piece being we got to be cognizant of it at least. And so if we're catching ourselves yelling, we need to then know that there's tools that we could leverage to support us not yelling. And this is what you're giving us. So what is the final power? It's, and I think we kind of went out of order, but that's okay. But this one is the power of acceptance. And so Mm. basically the definition says the power of acceptance is mindfulness in action. 
It's the active, non-judgmental embracing of experience in the here and now. And practicing the power of acceptance means quietly observing the moment without needing to change or fix it. The moment is as it is. Wow. Yeah, that one's one of my favorites. What would you want to say to teachers who are not in that space and like help them internalize that? Because I know you and I talk so much about this, especially as we think about how we want our own children educated, how we want them to experience that. And so when we think about a teacher who needs to be in that moment, in that space, while they are trying to teach 25 to 30 kids, how do they do that? (laughs) It's hard. And I haven't had a full class in years. So I can say, oh, you know, with my little group of six kids, this is what we do. But when you have 30, it's a lot harder. And sometimes it's hard to drown out all the background noise and that might be your trigger and you get overstimulated. And <laughs> But I think that, and I also think we're not good at resting. We're not, sometimes we're not good at like being quiet and just like taking a moment and it's hard for us to sit still. But with practice, I think we can quiet the noise. We can accept the moment and respond to it. And then in doing so, we promote empathy and foster solutions and change and improve. It's going to improve your relationships with your kids when you're not acting quickly and you're taking a minute, the whole, okay, I'm not going to take this personal, even though this child should know better. I'm going to take a second. I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to even just sit with it and the whole like, hey, this is what happened. This is, it is what it is. We're going to, we're going to do this for a little bit and we're going to come back to this. And then we're going to talk about it. You know, the whole like calming yourself and we resist the moment sometimes. And we just want to react right away. And I think if we can sit with it and just not judge and we can be in a good, our brains will be in a good state. Whereas if we are angry and upset and we respond our brain is kind of in that survival state and we're not rationally thinking through anything. We're emotional and we need to bring that down, regulate it, and then we can hopefully focus on it and work through the process, find a solution, change. And then I feel like when the child, you know, when the child's not being yelled at and they're not being punished for everything they do, they're going to have a better relationship with us. And mm-hmm. when kids trust us and they feel safe with us, it's much easier to get kids to do things when they trust you and they feel safe and they know you like them. Because kids know, they know, they know when it's they know. <laughs> It's making me think about love and logic. I don't know how familiar you are. And we've had a couple guests on who have been love and logic facilitators. And one of the skills that they talk about is when you don't know what to do or when you are dysregulated, instead of going here, it is okay to say, I'm going to handle this. Just like you said earlier, when I am ready to handle it emotionally. And if that needs to be your Mm go-to, so we will come back to this when I know that I can handle it. And being vulnerable in that space and being able to own your own emotional regulation is so powerful and also keeps the student on edge for like, what is she going to do? (laughs) Like it's actually scarier because if she's yelling at me, at least I can make fun of her as she turns red or whatever. And in this space, wait, she is so calm or he is so calm. I have no idea. I better just get back to work. Maybe I can make her forget what this is going to be about, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Of these, which one, Shannon, do you feel like they all are powerful, but if, if we were to say tomorrow, and give a mission to teachers, what would you say the first thing they should just do to really help them live in this conscious discipline? And then we can build on, but like what 
the foundation or the core would you suggest they work on tomorrow and this week? I would say I'm going to go with probably the power of perception. It's the first power. And it just says like, no one can make me angry without my permission. So, and that I think it also in with that is the, don't take it personal. I choose how to respond. It's all in you. It's your choice. You know, cause a lot, a lot of times kids are like, well, he made me, or you made me yell. No, I chose to yell. I chose to do this. So if you just keep reminding yourself, like no one can make me angry without my permission, just take a deep breath and then respond. I think that can be like your start there. And then the other ones kind of, they all kind of fall in line. Mm. Once you're calm, then you can address everything. And, you know, and we don't want, we want, we always tell our kids, like you're in charge of your body. You're in charge of your own decisions and how you react. And we need to remember the same thing. And Mm-hmm. even though that behavior is really frustrating for us, I get to choose how to respond to it. Yes. This is all about us, but not at all about us. Like you were saying, right. Yes. And so yeah. Shannon, I think, I think that this is so helpful, even for somebody who is a 20 year veteran who still needs to exercise some self-control. And so I really appreciate this. You know, if people have more questions how can they find you? Is there a world in which they can find you and say, hey, lover of conscious discipline, I need advice? Absolutely. My email is shannon.spray, like hairspray, mm-hmm. .34 at Gmail. I am by no means an expert on conscious discipline, but we used it a lot in my preschool and I try to incorporate it into my small groups that I teach. You can go to the conscious discipline website and there are so many amazing resources and videos to watch. Yeah. I mean, there's like print offs for you that you can print for your classroom and put them up in your room so that you remember how to respond to certain things and teach your kids how to respond to things. And the videos are amazing. The lady's Mm. funny. Yeah. It's great. I love it. Awesome. Well, we'll include all of that in our show notes, Conscious Discipline website and your email in case anyone wants to reach out to you and say, help me. Thank (laughs) you for offering that up. And then the last question that I have for you is what advice do you have for educators right now to help reignite their hope in education as it stands? Being an educator is tough. And I think if you can try your very best to focus on forming relationships with your students and quit taking it personal, behaviors are going to happen. They happen with our own children. They happen with our students. It's going to happen. And if you could try to not take it personal and just form those relationships, School should be a place that every child wants to come. I always say that I never want to be the reason that a kid doesn't want to come to school. Mm. So I just think sometimes we forget how much of an impact we have on these kids and they love their teachers. They, they just, they want to please us. And we just want them to be good humans, like send them out in the world as good humans. (laughs) And I would say that the work you're doing with students, with teachers, with your own children, with my children is helping all of that. So thank you so much, Shannon, for being a guest on today's episode. We are so lucky to have you a part of the Teacher Renewed podcast. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being on today's episode and For those of you who wonder how I spend my time in friendship, it is with people who are typically educators who I get to talk about this stuff with all the time. It is my happy place. It is my passion place. And getting to be a mom and a friend and a colleague with Shannon is such an amazing opportunity. So here are the takeaways for today's episode. Number one, all behavior is communication. 
Number two, connection is an essential impulse and need for survival. Number three, remember star, stop, take a breath and relax. Number four, you and a student in a dysregulated state is unproductive and likely nothing is going to be resolved. Five, focus on your attention and what you truly value and what you want to be true. Six, choice is huge when it comes to conscious discipline, both for you and your students. Seven, the only person you can make a change for is yourself and remember, no one can make you angry without your permission. Number eight, accept the moment as it is. To do this, remember to get quiet, accept what is, and then respond with what you want. And number nine, form relationships and remember, Q-tip, quit taking it personal. Wow, another episode in the books. Thank you so much for joining me today and every week on the podcast. So what are you taking away from today's episode? Let me know by heading to Instagram and either commenting on this episode's IG picture or DM me and tell me you listened to the episode and share a little nugget you received. I am at teacher underscore renewed. And as always, if you liked this episode and know someone who is on a journey to becoming a better teacher and educator, share this with them. And it might just be the one thing they needed to hear today. Or share this episode in your stories and tag me at teacher underscore renewed. All right, my friends, I will be back next week with another episode for more of what's possible in education.